What's going on, everyone? It's Wednesday, May 25th. I'm Zachary Crockett here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla. And today we are exploring a bizarre potential future for hotels. We're also going to get into some drama over a stolen NFT. Just a little hint, it involves a famous actor slash producer, a cartoon ape, and some copyright law. But before we get into that, a couple quick things you should know about in the business and tech world. Beyond Meat signed Kim Kardashian as the company's chief taste consultant earlier this week, and the company's stock immediately shot up 7%. Unclear exactly what that role entails, but the company definitely needs some kind of help. Its shares are down 80% over the past year. And a stock pop in the opposite direction. In a memo to employees, Snap CEO Evan Spiegel warned of slowing growth in the coming months due to macroeconomic factors. After the memo came out, stock dipped from $22.50 down to $13. Tech stocks are not super fun right now. And speaking of tech, Airbnb is closing its listings business in China. The move comes after two years of lockdowns in the country with no end in sight. And it's not as bad as it might seem. China only accounts for about 1% of Airbnb's global business. And the company's also going to keep around its office in Beijing, which mostly handles outbound travel. And lastly, Big Brothers Big Sisters of America received a very generous, very unexpected donation. Mackenzie Scott gave the organization $122 million. That's going to be used to pair up disadvantaged children with one-on-one mentors. Since her $48 billion divorce settlement with Jeff Bezos, Scott has now donated more than $12 billion to charity. And not a knock on Bezos, but just by contrast, Jeff, who's worth about $132 billion, has donated about $2 billion over the same time period. All right, Juliet, let's talk hotels here. So traditional hotels have a problem, right? Yeah. So basically, I recently talked to the CEO of a company called Mo Living. His name is Jordan Bem. And he was talking about something that I hadn't thought about before, which is that traditional hotel rooms have the same number of rooms to maintain regardless as to whether it's peak season or off season. Sure. And so one of the examples that we were talking about is like, let's take Palm Springs. In the winter, everyone loves to go to Palm Springs. It's great. And then in the summer when it's like 115 degrees outside, <laughs> eh, not so much. And then you have all these rooms and you have to run some sort of AC because otherwise it'll just right. be unbearable. Same true in the winter. You can't just like shut off utilities in the winter. Or your pipes will freeze. And it can be like a lot of rooms, like 50% vacancy, like in some cases, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Basically, he has this idea for solving sustainability through the idea of mobile hotel rooms. Uh, okay, so break that down a little bit for us here. It, it sounds kind of kind of crazy, mobile hotels. What exactly is the idea here? How does this work in, in practice? So they're not tents, which was, of course, like my first okay. thought was like, oh, they're, they're like some sort of fancy tent or Airstream trailer. But no, right. they're uh, about 400 square foot rooms. They're made out of recycled steel and energy efficient structural insulated panels, which I had to look up. It's a foam core sandwiched by wood. So Sounds fancy. Yeah, they're seen as just like being better insulators. So these mobile rooms, they're kind of like these standalone units. They're easy to move. They use a self-leveling system instead of anchoring into the ground. So let's say it's on a slant. It'll just level mm-hmm. itself. And then they hook up to the existing grids. He kind of compared it to a boat. You can dock in and hook up to whatever's mm-hmm. there. Or if there's nothing there, you can use solar power off-grid I guess they had one where they were kind of testing out this concept and it was in the northwestern United States and it actually ran on solar power for several months until it Mm. snowed and then the snow covered the panels and no one cleared them off and then it ran out of juice. But (laughs) pretty sustainable for a while, apparently. Okay, so they're kind of like trailers that just like move and you stick them in place with other trailers. As demand fluctuates, you can move these rooms and place them wherever you want. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. And the idea is the best place for them would be someplace where development is expensive and hotel prices are high. So you're Mm -hmm. thinking of places like the Hamptons, Cape Cod, Joshua Tree. I am, for some unknown reason, going to a wedding in Big Sur over a holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of space there. Mm -hmm. The rooms are like $800 a night. Long story short, I'm staying in Carmel and not Big Sur. Or another alternative, he said, is like just a great plot of land somewhere. It could be in the middle of Wyoming where it's like, this is going to be really awesome for people who want to just be outside and be among nature. So those are the kind of places that they would go. Mm. It's kind of tricky as to how they would set up because basically they want to offer a five-star luxury hotel experience with these trailers. So you can't just like put them in the middle of nowhere and then be like, okay, you're on your own. You have to have amenities connected to it. So like an ideal site would be, let's say a very large plot of land and then like some sort of main house that can Mm. be repurposed into a lodge that would have like coffee and food and maybe a spa or some sort of fitness center. And after they find one of those places and they do a market analysis and they're like, yeah, this would work for us. Basically, yeah, they set up and transport how many units they think the place will need. And then they will also staff and do all the hotel stuff for you, basically. Hmm. And then after peak season, they'll just take whatever excess units are there and move them somewhere else. Hmm. It it, it sounds pretty smart. Like, I mean, aside from reducing the occupancy rates, What are the other value adds here for a hotel that might be interested in doing this? So mostly it's just a lot cheaper and faster. So I was reading analysis that said it's like two to three times cheaper to produce one of these in a traditional room. There are also no weather delays during construction because they just make them in a hotel and they're basically all the same. They're modular, but they're essentially all the same. So you always know exactly the materials you're going to need. You just put them together. There's less waste and, you know, you're kind of just getting a solid clip where you're just producing, producing. And how about for the people who are staying in these hotels? Any discernible difference? So they're not super cheap, but they are more affordable, I would say, than your traditional luxury properties. They're going to start at about $250 a night. Hmm. So you could certainly find a cheaper motel, but you probably couldn't find like the same luxuries that you're supposed to get with this for that price. Right. Yeah. It's crazy hearing like that 250 is cheap for a hotel room. Growing up, I right. remember staying in like $25 <laughs> Motel 6s, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I am 100% a very cheap motel person. Yeah. I love motels, so this is not for me, but I could see the kind of traveler for whom this might be very appealing. So this obviously hasn't rolled out yet, but I also wonder like, if this is something that's really going to catch on and change the hotel industry, or if it's kind of just one of those innovations that serves more of a purpose for the hotel owners than the consumers. Uh, I also wonder that too. Their first site is going to open this fall in the Hudson Valley. They've got more planned for the East Coast Mm -hmm. and the next year more for the West Coast. I could see it really working for places, you know, like Joshua Tree or someplace where there tends to be a lot of open land Mm -hmm. and development is maybe a little tricky, especially if they can really do this off-grid stuff. That might be cool. But honestly, like, At the end of the day, the person that is benefiting, aside from the traveler, is somebody who has the ability to purchase a large plot of land. Right. So I don't know if it's just like hotel made easy for the average person, but I think it could be pretty cool in certain locations for sure. Right. Like you said, seasonal markets, I could see it working pretty well. Yeah, definitely nature oriented. Like you're not going to see this in New York City or Los Mm -hmm. Angeles, but you could definitely see it out in the desert or like I said, Wyoming would kind of be fun, honestly. Like I, I would go to a place that was like, here's this ranch you can stay at and pet goats. Like, I would do that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's also like a hell of a lot easier to get the development rights for these things. Like, you know, you're not going to get the permits to build like a 40-story hotel 
out in some remote place that might have strict controls and that kind of stuff. Right. Absolutely. And you're not anchoring into the ground and you're not obstructing views, which is a big thing when you're trying to like build anywhere near some sort of beautiful Vista or National Park. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I could see it taking off in certain markets for sure. All right, let's move on to our second topic here. Um, And this one requires a little bit of backstory. So Seth Green is a famous actor producer. What has he done, Juliet? Like, what would you know him for? Well, uh, I know him as being the werewolf boyfriend of Willow Rosenberg (laughs) on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But he's also in Idle Hands. He's a voice on Family Guy, uh, Robot Chicken he's involved with. I once saw him at an escape room in Hollywood. All right, so this guy's all over the place. And it turns out he is also really into NFTs. He has a big collection of NFTs. He's really bullish on Web3 and all this new technology. And he bought a Bored Ape a while back. And for anyone who doesn't know, a Bored Ape is, you know, a a popular NFT right now. It's a collection of these digital apes. And when you buy a Bored Ape, you get commercial IP rights to it. You can use it however you please. Apes creators, Yuga Labs gives their holders intellectual property rights to the underlying artwork of the NFT. So, you know, people have done all kinds of things with their board apes. They've made comic books. They've turned them into bands. They've put them on basketball shoes, whatever. So Seth Green, he wants to create a show with his board ape. He wants his board ape to be the main character in a new TV show that he's making. And then something just recently went terribly wrong, right? Okay, so yes, uh, someone sort of kidnapped his ape. It was stolen in a phishing <laughs> scam in early May, you know, like a, a hack, basically, yeah, a, a okay. phishing scam. And then another person bought this ape. This person is only known by his username, Darkwing84. <laughs> I'm going to guess if he was born in 1984, this is a reference to the cartoon Darkwing Duck. Oh, I didn't piece that together. Interesting. Okay, so transaction ledgers show that this board ape was stolen by the scammer sometime in early May, and this guy, Darkwing84, bought it for north of $200,000. And as soon as he bought it, he transferred it into a secure wallet where it currently sits. <laughs> the problem now is that those intellectual property rights, that copyright IP, it now belongs to Darkwing84, and Seth Green kind of has his hands tied with this whole thing. He's been on Twitter begging Darkwing84 to negotiate with him. He wants to avoid taking this matter to court. And if it does end up going to court, it's kind of going to open up this interesting legal can of worms because I think it's going to be the first time we have seen a major copyright lawsuit around an NFT and how it can be used. So a lot of those strictures are going to be tested if this you know, continues on into the courtroom. Yeah. And I wonder how that works because it was stolen. Like, If someone breaks into my house and steals Mm. my computer and then sells it to a pawn shop and then someone else buys my stolen computer, Mm -hmm. there is this system in place for me to get the computer back and nothing bad happens to the person who bought it because they didn't know. But like I get it back, right? Totally true. Yeah. How does that work for NFTs? I mean, that's a great question. Like you said, there's the criminal part of the case, which is what is our right to property that's stolen that was sold to someone else? Then there's the IP and the copyright side, which is like, you know, tied in with the criminality element of it. And obviously, you know, Seth has rallied his troops up to try to harangue Darkwing 84 into giving this thing back. You know, if they were to work out something on private terms, maybe he could get it back at cost or something, or maybe they could figure out a solution where they both win. But 
this has the legal community split. Some lawyers are saying Darkwing 84 now has complete control over the IP here and there's nothing Seth Green can really do. Others are saying that because it's stolen property, like you said, maybe there's a a case to be had where he can get it back after a legal battle for a small fee or something. Yeah. And I watched the trailer, I guess you could say, of the show. And it seems to be about a world where people and NFTs coexist. Mm -hmm. So kind of like a Roger Rabbit, like half of us are cartoons kind of thing. Okay. And the ape in question is a bartender at the White Horse Tavern in New York, Um, (laughs) just living his life as as an (laughs) NFT. Okay. Ascension NFT. Wow. And so, yeah, it would be hard for him to, I guess, redo it because he already has the the NFT and the way that it looks in so many of the scenes. Right. So the ape is like totally a main character in this show. Yeah. It's like BoJack Horseman, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. But I think that Seth Green should make a show in classic late 90s Seth Green stoner comedy fashion about <laughs> his quest to rescue his stolen ape from <laughs> Darkwing 84. All right. Uh, yeah, that's actually pretty genius, I have to say. It's totally like in his brand too to do something. Oh like yeah, that. for sure. And it would just be like great press for him to just like kind of own it and make a joke out of it. You know, I feel like a lot of people are ripping him on Twitter for being like an NFT bro, and they're like, "Ah, you deserve this, man, for buying this JPEG of an ape," you know, and making a show around it. Yeah, I don't know why I think this. I think because like when you live in LA and you're like blah blah blah, this celebrity, somebody's always like, "Oh yeah, my friend was a PA on that show," and they're. <laughs> but like Seth Green is a guy that I never hear anything mean about. So I'm like, oh, yeah. man, I hope this works out for you in some way, shape or form, even though it's like the stupidest thing yeah, I've ever he, heard. By all accounts, he's a great dude. Yeah. Someone on Twitter also made kind of an interesting tangential point here, which is that apparently Seth Green's ape is almost identical to another ape, mm. ape number 580. They both Aesthetically, they look exactly the same. The only difference is that ape number 580, like his eyes are doing something different and the background color is different. And this person was like, well, if you're taking the ape out of the context of the still photograph and you're going to animate his eyes and have a shifting background, then really like what is the difference from the ape number 580 you're kind of eliminating the distinguishing characteristics of the photograph by animating the character on TV. Mm, Yeah, that's true. It can be like an interesting copyright glitch there too. Yeah, it feels like when you are on like Flickr and somebody is like, you can use this image and you can do whatever you want to it Mm -hmm. versus you can use this image, you can't do whatever you want to it and you have to give me credit. Like it it feels Mm -hmm. like we don't have those parameters defined yet for NFTs. Sure. This DAO thing is kind of interesting. Yeah, what's interesting is I think we're seeing a lot of confusion over like copyright law and IPs and what that means, kind of butting up against the concept of like the metaverse and NFTs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but there's a DAO that brought the story Bible to Alejandro Yudorovsky's Dune, which he was going to make in the 70s, this filmmaker, and he never did. And so this group of people got together and bought the story Bible for like $3 million dollars. And they were saying they were going to make it into an animated series or an anime or something. Hmm. They just had a book. They didn't have the IP to the adaptation, nor did they have the IP to like Frank Herbert's Dune. And then after everyone made fun of them, they were like, no, 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 you get you misunderstand. We're actually going to make stuff that's inspired by this. And, you know, (laughs) and there's just a lot of confusion. I mean, that's like saying, like, I bought a copy of this Pink Floyd album and now I'm going to make a musical with all this. Like, you can't do that. Right. Right. You know, so. 
I just think we're seeing a lot of confusion about copyrights in general. And then, you know, you you put this in a place where we have no frame of reference and it just gets kind of wacky. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) if we could leave it off with one line, it's probably that if anyone's going to make a fortune from the NFT boom, it's going to be IP lawyers. For sure. Lots of jobs there for anyone listening. And Darkwing 84, whoever they are. (laughs) And Darkwing 84. Yeah. (laughs) You've got a gold mine on your hands. All right, that's going to do it for us today. If you liked what you heard, we've got a lot more tech and business stuff over at thehustle.co. Go check it out. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. Thanks for tuning into The Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. We'll see you all tomorrow.